afternoon with Dennis Fithian on Detroit Sports, ready to get things underway with podcast number 54. And I'll bring in an old friend from Fox Sports Radio, Bernie Fratto, on the podcast. Bernie, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Well, Dennis, thanks uh, for having me. To say uh, we have a little history would be an understatement. We've known each other since 94. We worked together at WTKA. We did Detroit Lions pre and post uh, for a couple of years. And uh, even since we could locate in the Vegas here. In 2010, we've stayed in touch, so it's good to catch up with you. Yeah, you know, my my memory of doing those Lions postgame shows, I can remember being at the casino, a nice casino, uh, kind of tucked away uh, by one of these bars, and then, you know, you just look out there, and all those vast machines there, and didn't matter what was going on, man. We were talking about the Lions and what happened. You know, great memory. Uh, it was at the Motor City Casino there, and if you listen to our broadcast, which are probably still out in the ether somewhere, you'd hear slot machines, uh, you know, clinging in the background. And uh, it was so funny because uh, when I moved to Vegas here, we talked about how Roger Goodell had to be, you know, kicked, uh, dragging and screaming into the gambling world, which now the NFL has partnered with, you know, many organizations because they realize the importance of wagering, you know, legal wagering and professional football and how important it is to their TV ratings. And uh, truth be told, Dennis, in one of the shows I was doing out here, I played one of our old clips uh, from our shows in 2007. And my co-host remarked, you can hear, you can hear the uh, slot machines in the background. So it was kind of hypocritical for Roger Goodell all these years to deny that the NFL and sports betting were joining the hip. Well, you know they were they were scared for all those years of the perception that you know the, the gambling would ruin it. We know it's still on the the doors in in baseball clubhouses, but yeah, like uh, get up with the times. It's all right. And now we have hockey, and now uh, we are going to have football. You know what the we're just talking about casinos there. You know what the the NBA bubble when they have the sideline camera and I look at the background and they have the pictures of the fans there. It reminds me of the the video slot machines where the people just sit there and you have all these crazy uh, combinations to win. But it, every time I see it, I'm reminded of those uh, those slot machines that you see at the casino. Yeah, and you know, when the passport was overturned in May of 2018 uh, or 2019, we're coming up, excuse me, 2018, we're coming up on two years, the Legal Sports Betting Act, you now have 18 states, and I believe Michigan, one of them, that have adopted legalized gambling. There's at least another dozen with, bills in the legislature and i would say in the next three years probably 40 to 50 states will have legalized gambling in some form or fashion new jersey's out ahead of the pack of course but i understand they've even got a brick and mortar set up over in one of my old stomping grounds in northfield there at uh, at the racetrack yeah i don't know exactly how it worked out but i do know that it could have been the first day could have been 310 or 311 but then as you know like by 312 everything was shut down so i think you might have got like a couple hours or maybe one day of actually, you know, legalized gambling here in Michigan. And then, you know, we know what's happened over the last four months. There wasn't anything right. to bet on. Nothing to bet on. Well, that's very true. Uh, the handles on, here in the sports books in Las Vegas were down about 94%. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have, you know, Major League Baseball or the NBA or the NHL and all the golf tournaments and all that, professional bettors were relegated to betting. And I'm not making this up. Russian ping pong, Bundesliga soccer. Uh, UFC, 
is that the catch is catch can, but it's certainly not the same. And now we've got a cornucopia uh, with the NBA getting ready to start the playoffs and the NHL, you know, back gangbusters and Major League Baseball. And soon we'll have a, have college football, I think, fingers crossed. I kind of like what the Big Ten did this week, getting out ahead of the pack. And if, if that, you know, if uh, everything goes according to oil, Dennis, we'll have some Big Ten football September 5th. Well, that would be great. I still think that the the presidents around the Big Ten are going to have a tough time sleeping tonight. It wouldn't surprise me if they just uh, went ahead and put some kind of delay in for another week or two. But I don't know. I I, I just – it's a I'm a glass-half-full type guy. I just – and I've been saying let's wait two weeks for four months. So maybe they're just like, well – Let's just try, and if it doesn't work, then, you know, that's it. We can at least say we tried, but I don't know. I'm still waiting. I I still think that um, for some reason they're not – well, not for some reason. I just think exactly the presidents are not going to be able to sleep tonight, and they're going to wake up tomorrow and say not not Michigan or or not Indiana or not Northwestern. They're not going to be out there. We're going to have to wait, but I don't know. That's just a guess. I I want them to – go out there and, and stack some good days and stack some good weeks. And I want to see football September 5th. I just, uh, yeah, I'm skeptical. Well, you're not wrong. Um, it's a fair point and it's very much fingers crossed, hold your breath time because there are a couple of overriding narratives. One of them has to do with if in fact all fall sports are canceled, then the narrative is going to be, well, okay, there's a hypocrisy here. If we're doing it out of safety, it's okay if the non-revenue generating sports are canceled, for lack of a better term, but the revenue generating sports like football are kept. So there's going to be that political slash moral debate about that. The second thing is, and I'm not sure where you weigh in on this, but there are a lot of folks who feel if you're not going to have students on campus, how can you have football? So those two debates are still somewhat raging in the backdrop. So in terms of tonight, tomorrow, the next couple of days, it is a little dicey, Dennis. So, I mean, the only thing we know for sure is that we know nothing. Well, if I could have been in the meetings with Kevin Warren, the new Big Ten commissioner, I would have said, look, let's let's wait a couple more weeks here and let's see what happens with baseball. They might be able to make the decision for us. Let's see what happens when actual football players are in a contact practice in the NFL. Let that be our guide. And you know what? If baseball, which did get some good news over the last couple days after it looked like they were just hanging on by a thread, and if NFL, if they're actually on the field for the next week or 10 days and it seems like, you know, they're hanging in there, well, then at that point, let's go ahead and, and, and put them out in front. They can make the decision for us. Instead, like the Big Ten's like gung-ho. They want to get in there and, and, and let's have it going, even though there's like Ed Rutgers, there's – you know, a, a major outbreak, and I don't think, you know, they had the pause. I don't think Michigan State or Northwestern are actually eligible because of, you know, their, their two-week quarantine to even hit the field. So it was a, it was surprising. It was almost like they said, okay, everybody wants the schedule. Here it is. But it was kind of like a, you know, you get the uh, adult warning. Sometimes when you're watching TV or on a CD, it's like, look, the warning is here's your schedule, but it's probably not going to happen like this. Well, I'm hopeful that uh, college football, and we all know that there is no governing body, it's fractured. There is no college football czar. Uh, the NCAA, the only thing they do is you put people on probation. I don't really know what they do. The bottom line is this. Hopefully they're studying what the NFL, excuse me, what the NBA and the NHL have done. 
The NBA has been on a positive test since July 29th. They've taken it seriously. They've done a brilliant job. They're going to pull this off, and so is the NHL. And frankly, in Major League Baseball, I know Rob Manfred stuck his hat out like that. He's a show for the owners. But my most told me they're never going to cancel this thing. Now, I, could, I know you never say never. But if you look at what happened, you had a couple outlier knucklehead situations involving the Florida Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals. But absent that, everything has been manageable. Baseball has to get to October in the postseason or the wave goodbye to $800 million in TV revenue. And they can't have that happen because you've got a CBA negotiation coming up after 2021. They need that money in the player pool. They need that money in the coffers. Otherwise, they'll have to completely renegotiate the CBA. So I think they'll move heaven and earth to make that happen. I also think this is manageable in college football. You only play college football. You only play football once a week. So they're not playing it every day like baseball. They're not playing it every day like, uh, you know, the NBA or the NHL, where there's literally games going on every day in the bubbles. I think this is manageable. And one of the things I think that hasn't been reported, Dennis, is the fact that, as you well know, you've been around the University of Michigan for three decades. They've got, I'll just use him as an example. They've got some of the finest medical staff in the world, some of the finest athlete care, student care, you know, and same with the major league teams. Tommy Lasorda joked about this a few weeks ago. He says, you know, people don't understand what good medical care these teams are under. I mean, you've got three team doctors, four team trainers, five team attendants. He goes, when I was playing, we had one team trainer, one bottle of rubbing alcohol, and he usually drank it all by the seventh inning. (laughs) The bottom line is, I do think this is manageable. And um, what wasn't reported when the 37 um, Clemson football players were testing positive is that they were all asymptomatic. And we know this is dicey and you can give it to other people and all that, but the key is, is that if they're not getting deathly sick and ending up in hospitals and dying, which is what everybody's trying to avoid, then this is manageable. And I think that's the operative word now. Most decisions, too many decisions, I think are being made by fear, holding mental pictures of what they don't want to happen. So the bottom line is, let's hope cooler heads prevailed in us and we get some football. Yeah, maybe, uh, and I hope you're right about that. Indiana had a, a freshman offensive lineman who was hospitalized, but that was one person and. You know, I don't worry about them necessarily when they're at a training camp and they pretty much are quarantined, like whatever they're going back when they're done, whether it's a, a dorm or an apartment. And I know they're getting told what to do and everything. My my worry would be when 40,000 other students show up and are they going to be able to quarantine themselves at that point? Maybe they will. You know, the, the biggest thing where I feel like if they start practice tomorrow and they give it a go, is that Michigan's president, Mark Schlissel, his background is in viruses. I mean, this is uh, what he uh, made his name in. This is uh, his expertise. So if the president of the University of Michigan, who knows this thing as well as anybody in the world, one of the 1% that knows about this, and he says, all right, we're going in, then, you know, I'm I'm a sports talk guy, Bernie. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say, well, what's Mark Schlissel doing? You know, I'm, I'm gonna if he gives it to go, then I'm gonna say, all right, good luck. Let's do it. Let's do it, and uh, let's move ahead there. So, um, yeah. Although you make good points, and I know I don't. I, I want him to get in there, and uh, I want it to work, and um, I just think about you know the things that that uh, look like they haven't um, haven't thought of or they don't have answers for, but. You know what? The one thing, if they do get out there and hit the field tomorrow, we're going to find out. Well, hopefully we won't find out for a while, but we're going to find out if they're going to be able to do it or not and pull it off. 
And your point about the Michigan president is, is duly noted. I've, I've heard that. And so obviously, whatever decision he's going to make is going to be an informed one. And it's going to be one that will be, you know, the best decision for now, given the hand he's been dealt. Where are we in, in terms of hoping that this goes forward, is the fact that college football is more than just a sport on a field and what it means to a university. I, I think the best analogy I ever heard was college football to a major university is like the front yard of a house. And if you've ever gone house hunting, the first thing you notice is the front yard. It's not the most important part of the house, but it's representative of the house. And it's an indicator of what the house looks like on the inside. And to that end, the reason I use that analogy is because the thing about college football is it not only can give a university identity and in, in notoriety, but it also generates significant income. And that income can be used to fund a science department who might someday find a cure for COVID-19. So this is a very serious issue here. And I know that Stanford recently canceled 11 of the 38 sports and people would say, well, why did they do that? They've got an endowment of like $26 billion in some astronomical number. Why can't they use that for sports? Well, they can't because endowments are not earmarked for sports. But perhaps it is, I would say, time to maybe revisit that. Because these sports, particularly football, because of the revenue it generates and the notoriety it brings, are not just extracurricular activities. They are an integral part of the university and in many times the region. Fortunately, you know, Ann Arbor and, and of course, East Lansing, part of a greater metropolitan area, as it were. You've got major league sports teams. You've got other things. But as you know, Dennis, go to some of the cities like Norman, Oklahoma, or Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where this is their this is their major league team. This is it. And if those communities and those bars on game days and those various you know businesses around town aren't able to participate in all the revenue, boy, it, it, it's a trickle effect. It's a trickle down effect to the rest of the community. So I understand, and it's not my way of saying, hey, full steam ahead, damn the torpedoes. Uh, we don't care. No, you've got to be prudent. I'm merely hoping that all of these things are taken into consideration. Might more collateral damage be done if they don't play football versus if they do. Yeah, and it's not just the love of the sport or the economics and the money that they would bring in. If we look back here, you know, the pandemic, the depression overall for the country, you know, it's real. You know, you just got to stay physically distanced from people, whatever your situation is. You know, it's difficult, and if – and I just know for baseball, the the Tigers, I was watching the opening series against the Reds like it was the seventh game of the World Series that first weekend. And, you know, I'm all in watching the first 10 games, waiting out, rain delays and everything else. And then it looked like it was over before it started with the, the Cardinals, the Tigers, you know, everybody else, you know, they had to cancel the series. So, you know, they got 10 games in with a seven-inning doubleheader on Sunday, and they haven't played since. And it, it I got a taste of it. I don't even care how many they play in baseball this year. I just want them to get out there. If the Tigers play 45 games and other teams are playing 58, they have to do it by the winning percentage. I hope I am complaining at the end of the year that, you know, that this is a sham of a season or whatever else in there. Uh, how could, uh, you know, the Padres or the Pirates end up in the, in the, in the expanded playoffs? I, I don't know. I, I hope we have those arguments because uh, I just know this, this, these last couple days and just what it could mean for the country, we're looking for we're looking for good news, and if sports can get out there, and certainly if football is able to put one foot in front of the other, 
and we don't have to dial this back and we're actually look like we're moving forward. You know what, um, you know, just how great that would be for, for the country. Well, I'm enjoying it as you are the games themselves. And now as, as the season continues to sprint, it's not a marathon. You start to look at pennant races taking shape. And what's interesting about this season. And first of all, I'm in agreement. Well, I, 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 maybe we haven't talked about this, but one of the things that, that is being floated out there is that should this year's champion have an asterisk? I say no, because everybody's in the same boat. Uh, let me draw a, a parallel. In 1961, when Roger Maris hit 61 home runs, he did it in 162 games. There was an asterisk by that number, not to diminish his accomplishment in any way, but rather to draw the distinction that he, he did it in 162 games and Babe Ruth did it in 154. Therein lies the distinction and why there was an asterisk. But everybody's in this pandemic boat together. Everybody's got to, you know, play by the rules and they've got to, you know, follow the protocols. And if they don't, to their own detriment. But here's what's interesting about this year's season. 16 of the 30 teams will make the playoffs. So you've got a situation now where, well, more teams than not will get in. And in this mad sprint, I expect a couple outliers to get in there. I was hoping one of them would be the Tigers. They were five and five the other last I checked. They were five and five, I believe, and they're over. Their win total for for the season was twenty one and a half here in Las Vegas. If they get their sixty games in, they're going to go over that total. And so this this part of it is also fun to watch. But even if you win your division, you've got that three game series. And even if you get all three games at home, it's not that great of a statistical advantage. So that makes it that much more daunting. And one other thing. Dennis, because, and I think this adds to whether or not this season could really be ex- extremely exciting, given the expanded playoff format, is the last 10 World Series champions have one thing in common. None of them were favored to do it. As a matter of fact, none of them out of 28 that were at odds of less than 10 to 1 won it. This year, you've got the Yankees at 4 to 1, you've got the um, uh, Dodgers at 4 to 1, and the Astros at 8 to 1. So if this goes according to Hoyles, None of them will win it, and the next team on deck, the Tampa Bay Rays, at sixteen to one, might win it. If you go back that last decade, last year the Washington Nationals, they were eighteen to one. Uh, those three great Giants teams in ten, twelve, and fourteen beat the Tigers one year, swept them. They were twenty-five to one, twenty-five to one, and twenty to one. That great Boston Red Sox team from two thousand thirteen was thirty to one. The moral of the story is, if past his prologue, not only will the favorites not win it, an outlier will come out of nowhere. Wouldn't that be crazy if somebody like the Tigers were to do something like that? Because in Major League Baseball, look, you know, there's no time clock. They got to get you out 27 times, and all they got to do is get hot. Am I predicting it? No, but I'll tell you what, that's why this is going to be fun to watch because of its nuance and unpredictability this year. Well, I'm with you on that last part. I'm with you on the beginning that there's no asterisk. Not for me, but if, uh, as you say, it is going to be some team that people uh, didn't expect that make it all the way to the World Series and then win it. Uh, there are going to be plenty of people that want to place that asterisk, and that, and you know that'll be fine. You know, for me, I, number one is playing and all those things. I hope that we are arguing about how could you let a team with a winning percentage and they only played you know fifty two games. How are they back into the playoffs when another team played sixty? And yet, uh, you know, here we go, and these are the rules. It's it's pandemic baseball. So uh, you know, maybe maybe Rob Manfred will get up there and he's you know he's handing over his hunk of metal that he liked to talk about. It'll be a little bit different, but you know, if we can get to the postseason and and have a a baseball postseason, that's really all that matters. But 
I do think that if we're just, you know, this isn't, I guess, Monday morning quarterback. This would be Friday morning quarterbacking. If you can get some some name recognition, well, if the one team was the Padres or the Tigers, on the other side, you know, they better have something like the Dodgers or the or the Yankees or uh, or the Astros, which would which would cause a lot of interest there. You, you better have one of the the blue bloods in there because if you had two teams, if it was the if it was '84 again, Bernie, if it was the Padres and Tigers, I think there would be a lot of people, even though you know we're all just happy that they're out there and playing. Uh, there would be a lot of people complaining about it then. There would be. Uh, and obviously, uh, the first week, the ratings have been through the roof because there's such kind of demand and people want to see baseball again. And I think we both know that the networks are secretly rooting for the Dodgers and Yankees, the two major markets, to, to hook up uh, in the postseason. That would be uh, uh, fairly epic. Uh, and, you know, to your point again, yeah, someone's going to complain, cry foul. Uh, it's, it's the old adage. If your team wins, it's an asterisk, asterisk season. But if my team wins, well, we did it fair and square with everybody else. Right. So it's, it's, it's never, it's never going to be one of those deals. It's like, who's better, Jordan or LeBron? No one is ever going to submit on their side of the argument. It's like arguing on a favorite noodle and a plate of spaghetti. And so that, I actually think, adds to what this season can be because if it creates that kind of fan interest where people care enough, then that's what baseball wants in the worst way. And uh, look, I happen to believe it's still an incredibly successful industry. I don't buy the, the, the I don't buy the premise it's losing popularity. It's an eleven billion dollar industry. Back in '94, Dennis, when we were WTKA and the strike was on, it was a one billion dollar industry. It was a six billion dollar industry in 2006. Now it's an eleven billion dollar industry. That can't happen unless there's significant interest, nationwide interest. So, look, it is America's pastime. The bottom line is, yeah, is football more exciting? Yeah, because because of gambling and fantasy leagues. And, yes, it's exciting also, but those things aided and abetted quite a bit. But baseball is still our pastime. And so people are going to pay attention. People are going to be emotionally invested, and people are uh, going to have those arguments. And I do think you're going to see, Dennis, the cream – you know, rise. This Minnesota Twins team was tremendous last year. I don't know why they can't ever get by the Yankees in the postseason, but they're out of the gate pretty huge. You know, you talked about the Yankees being a powerhouse, and they are. And the Cubs, you got to love what the Cubs are doing. So I do think there will be a mix of marquee teams from major markets, but I still think you can very much see a Padres or a Colorado Rockies sneak in there. I don't know, you know, flip a coin. I don't know who else it would be. Uh, Cleveland, I think, is a good team. But the bottom line is, you know, you will see a, a lesser market team in there. There's no question. Bernie Fratto on podcast number 54 works out in Las Vegas right now, Fox Sports Radio. Bernie, you, you spent so much time in Michigan. We work together in Michigan. Are you are you from Michigan? I, I saw a pick. I was looking through your, your Twitter feed just today, and I know you were on uh, Rob Parker's baseball podcast, and I saw a picture of you in a uniform with a Reds hat and a Tampa jersey. Tell me about that. Well, I signed with the Cincinnati Reds in 1979, but unfortunately I ended up with bone chips on my elbow and I couldn't hit a slider. Other than that, I was pretty good. Uh, but I did have a brief stint in the Cincinnati Reds organization. But to your point, I was born in Michigan, uh, Dennis. My mother actually went to University of Michigan. She was she was in, she had classes with Ron Kramer, who actually told Ron Kramer at an event many years later, uh, uh, and when I was uh, five, six years old, 
my family moved uh, to California. My dad got a job in the uh, aerospace industry. But I spent the next, you know, 30 years of my life in California, went to high school there, college, all that stuff. And then in 1993, I had a just a kind of an odd, fluky opportunity to take in Michigan and move to Novi, Michigan and, and at the end of 93. I said, well, you know, if I don't like it, I'll move back. I don't know how I'm going to deal with winter. Well, I ended up loving Michigan, and uh, I, I didn't even mind winter. So I stayed there for 17 years all the way through 2010, February. Moved back here, Dennis, uh, in, in 2010. Or not back here, but moved to Vegas in 2010. Kept my house in Novi all the way to last year, renting it out. So I just sold it last year. Still get back a couple times a year to get my fix, maintain my credentials. Still see a lot of the guys in the, in the press box. I've run into you a couple times. And so – where am I from? I guess you have to kind of say where you went to. For me, it's always like where you went to school and high school is kind of where you're from. So I guess I'm from California, but I very much have Michigan roots, root for the Michigan teams, and had 17 great years there. Uh, and I will, I will take this to my grave. Detroit, Michigan is the greatest sports town in America. You've got four, what I would consider to be teams of notoriety. And yeah, I include the Lions there because everybody forgets the Lions were a powerhouse in the 50s. Everybody talks about the Baltimore Colts being the greatest game of all time in 58 when they beat the Giants. Well, the Lions had destroyed Cleveland the year before in 57. And they were so good and dominating teams that no one remembers them. And they've had their t- try at times. Obviously, they haven't won a single, they've won one playoff game since 57 and 92. But you look at the four major league franchises, prestigious franchises, right, with iconic people like, like Gordie Howe and, and Barry Sanders and Steve Eiserman and Al Kaline, and Alan Trammell, right on down the line. And then the Piss, great Pistons teams. And then you've got two Big Ten teams right around the corner, Michigan State and Michigan, both who won national championships while I lived there. So it's a town where the traditions are handed down from father to son. It's not a transient town. You've never had a team up and leave. You've never had an expansion team come there, unless you want to count the Fort Wayne Pistons maybe. But anybody who's ever been to a game in Detroit, okay, I told Mark Wilson this. I said, my, one of my greatest memories of, of evidence as to what I believe that makes Detroit the greatest sports town in America was in June of 2005 when the Pistons were playing the San Antonio Spurs in game six and seven and in, in San Antonio by the NBA Finals. We did a remote at the Palace, and there were 18,000 people there watching the game on TV. Now, since then, there have been other arenas copy that, but they were the first to do it in Detroit. Yeah, you're right, man. Uh, I, I think I can remember the the first year the Palace opened. Was it 89, 88, 89? Yep. I, I think they had Palace. I think the first time I ever went to the, the Palace was when they were playing in the finals, and, and they went to something that had something like that Palace vision. Oh, you're bringing back great memories. I remember going to the Joe Louis Arena watching the Wings play the Penguins. And the Stanley Cup Finals, going upstairs into a suite and watching the Pistons taking on the the Celtics in like the Eastern Conference Finals, it was, it was it was a pretty awesome time. Of course, it's a good reminder because now, you know, the Pistons have a a top five pick. It looks like we don't know they're gonna I guess have the lottery next week, so we'll see where they end up drafting. But they have the fifth uh, best odds right now. The Wings had the worst record. The Tigers lost 114 games last year, and the Lions, they've always been down there. So it's a good reminder that you know it's a it's a good sports town. One thing out of all of that, it doesn't matter about the Lions. People still, they it's still a a pro 
football town. I know that. Tell me about Vegas and their fandom. Here come the Raiders. There's not going to be any fans in the stadium. Look, I've, I've seen pictures now inside that stadium, but what's it going to be like there for the Raiders when they come in? They were 7-9 last year, and they do have John Gruden as their head coach and Derek Carr as their quarterback. Uh, how is that? What's that going to be like uh, in, in a city like Vegas, having pro football with uh, during a, a, a pandemic? What's that going to be like? Well, Mark uh, Davis, the owner of the Raiders, uh, son of Al, announced two days ago that there will be no fans. And so he's making provisions. Uh, people can roll over to 2021 and or they can get refunds. But what's it going to be like? What's happened, Dennis, is they've essentially relocated Raider Nation, as it were, and Black Hole to Las Vegas. And we'll see if it works. I think it. I think it's going to work in some form or fashion. I don't know if the Raiders are going to win. It's only eight home days, you know, days a year, so they'll sell it out, and there'll be a lot of support. It remains to be seen, and I've got to tell you, they have a tough act to follow because when the Golden Knights were born, and their hashtag is Vegas born, when that team was born with the Golden Misfits, with all the USAs and all the guys that were left off rosters, and they and they signed on in September of 2017 and got to the Stanley Cup Finals their first year and even beat the Washington Capitals game one before losing in the Stanley Cup Finals. Nobody, and I mean nobody, could, could believe their eyes. And I will tell you, going to a game at Joe Lewis was phenomenal. But going to a game at T-Mobile Arena, it's nothing like you've ever seen. You talk to some of your Detroit brethren in the media, they'll tell you the truth. They go, this is, this is a whole different level. In terms of noise, in terms of entertainment quotient, and it's a genuine hockey crowd. Because Vegas is the opposite of Detroit in that Detroit is very, very provincial. Most of the people that live there, live in Michigan, were born there. I was an outlier. I relocated there. Actually, I was born there too. But the point of the matter is, in Vegas, it's the opposite. About 90% of the people who live here are from somewhere else. Well, they're from cold weather cities. There are 15,000 transplanted Michiganders here in Las Vegas. There's people from Buffalo, Philadelphia, Boston. You name it, Chicago, all over the place. Do they know their hockey? Actually, they really do. So when you go, you say to yourself, how can there be a hockey crowd in the desert? Well, trust me, there is. You get in there, and it is a legit, real hockey crowd. And I'll never forget, and the Red Wings with Dylan Larkin, they were the first team to beat the Golden Knights on their home ice. It was in October of 2017. And I remember I had a credential for the game, and the Red Wings took the ice, and I couldn't believe it. It was actually kind of heartwarming. There were a couple thousand. This is you know an hour before the game. Michigan faithful there yelling in unison, let's go Red Wings. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. It was awesome. Okay. So the fact of the matter is the Raiders are going to really have a tough act to follow. Now, when it actually starts and there are fans, I think it'll be craziness. And then it's going to be they're going to have to win. Because I do believe this is going to be a front-runner town. If the Raiders win, they're going to support them. If they don't win, they'll still sell out on game day, but they're not going to support them like they supported the Golden Knights or in some of the other cities, not like Detroit, where you have to win. In Detroit, they're going to support you and love you. They might boo you. They might rail on you, but they're still going to support you. That's good stuff there. They're in a tough spot of being in the AFC West with the Chiefs up there. I know you know that. Everybody listening does as well. Hey, Bernie, you know, when you you talk about hockey, let me get a couple last questions uh, to you about the uh, the bubble and the the double bubble. So how much of this have been taken in uh, basketball? 
hockey. What do you make of it? You like it? Uh, what are you seeing out there with these two sports that are uh, have restarted? And you can catch games at noon. You can catch games at you know twelve o'clock. It's on here in August. Well, I'm enjoying it. And in the NBA, they're still jockeying for position in the West. And Portland plays Dallas today or Denver today, and they're trying to sneak in with that eighth playoff spot in the West. And all of a sudden, Carmelo Anthony's turned back time. Um, we're, we're kind of waiting to fast forward to the playoffs, which will start another week, but there's still some things to be decided. And I will tell you that the Golden Knights, uh, obviously, I have a little bit more of a vested interest living here with them. They really believe this is their Stanley Cup team. Uh, they went out and got Robin Leonard, who's a phenomenal goalie, to back up Marc-Andre Fleury. And I know you remember, you mentioned the Penguins. I remember in 2009, uh, one of the last great events I was at was, was Game 7. Unfortunately, the, the Red Wings lost to Pittsburgh. But the bottom line is, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, a 24-year-old Marc-Andre Fleury, stood on his head and won that series for him. You, you remember that, that final shot, I think it was Nick Lindstrom from the, from, the, from the box there. So in watching it, from the NHL standpoint, I'm very much looking, to, you know, uh, looking at, all right, can the Golden Knights finish what they started two years ago? They came oh so close, and they fell back. And I think Gerard Gallant was a little bit unceremoniously fired. However, I know why he was fired. He clashed with the owners. The owners have kind of somewhat given up on Andre Fleury a little bit. And Turk was, was pretty sentimental toward him. They go out and get Robin Leonard. Well, Pete DeBoer, who comes over from San Jose, which is a whole other story, because they're our hated rival. I mean, my God, I, we could do a whole show on why they're our hated rival. This is, I mean, it's not like, it's not like Colorado, Detroit back in 97 with Mark Crawford, Scotty Bowman. But when, when they knock, when the, when the, when the San Jose Sharks knocked the uh, Golden Knights out of the playoffs last year, after they were down three games to one, after that high sticking call, the long and short of it is still waters run deep. Well, we end up with their coach. And I mean, it took the city here about a month to absorb that. But people won't realize Pete DeBoer is a great coach. Not a good coach, great coach. Comes from the CompuWare program, uh, Dennis, in Detroit. And so they believe, this. the city believes, uh, the front office believes, Bill Foley, uh, you know, all the way you know, down the list, the owner, that this is, this is really the year. Now, they play St. Louis, you know, for playoff positioning. But given the fact they still go four lines deep, they're not as fast as they were in 2018, but they're gritty, they're balanced, they've got two great goaltenders. They've got as good a chance as anybody. So as I look at the NHL, I'm looking at through the prism of the, um, uh, of, the, uh, of the Golden Knights. As far as the NBA, the big story out here in the West, of course, is can LeBron do it with his third team? I happen to think the Clippers are a much better team. They go about 11 deep, and they play defense like mad. They're going to run people at LeBron. I think the Clippers are actually going to unseat the Lakers. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that and I think when the clip when the Lakers lost Avery Bradley uh, I think they lost a lot more than people are letting up and this is a guy with great defensive savvy and he brought a physical attitude and the last time they beat the Clippers when he was on the floor he had six three-pointers so you don't so easily replace him and so that's the storyline on here so I guess I'm looking at both of those through the storyline of will it be LeBron will it be Kawhi will it be someone else Giannis and can Vegas do it or not do it and the truth of the matter is when Vegas gets knocked out of the playoffs, if they do, the interest will wane. Well, you know what? I agree with you on the Clippers. Uh, I'm right there with you, and I've been watching the Raptors here, 
and they look like they might be able to give the Bucks something. So that's been an inter- interesting storyline for me. And as far as the the Golden Knights, you know, Max Pacioretty, somebody I know he had, had a really good year, but he got hurt late, and I don't think he's been back for them. So uh, he's a guy that people here in Michigan take a look at. So uh, I'm with the Golden uh, Knights. Uh, I like that story. I, I could tell when they're at their home arena. I know they're not anymore. But, um, you know, you could definitely feel it, you know, watching those games. That's for sure. So, yeah, yeah, you and I, man, we're, uh, we're, we're taking all this in. we got the PGA this weekend. I'll be watching out there in San Francisco. I'll probably log 10, 15, 20 hours watching that. So, yeah, uh, good times, eh, Bernie? It's really good times. And good, good on you to know about Max Pacioretty. Um, he did sustain an injury in practice, but he's getting ready to join the bubble. So he is, uh, it's nothing serious and he'll be back soon. And, you know, uh, they need him. I mean, he's had four straight 60 point seasons and he's the type of guy that takes pressure off of other people on the ice. So um, this team is not like the golden misfits team of two years ago. That was a special team. This team's assembled a little differently and they got a little bit more star power with guys like Mark Stone, but, they still, you know, think it's their year. So, all good, Dennis. Uh, nothing's changed in 26 years. Uh, we live, eat, and breathe sports. You got that right. I thought you were going to drop. He had a lower body injury, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Spoken like a true veteran. Spoken like a true veteran. Isn't it amazing how they keep it secret, how they do that? It's laughable. It's pretty awesome. Uh, I've always enjoyed that. Well, Bernie, I've always enjoyed you. It's, it's great, man. You you, you got into, because you were like, you know, making money and, you know, being a dad and all these things, you got into a sports talk relatively late, but over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, man, uh, you're burning it up. And uh, I, I enjoy your success from afar and keep it up. It's, uh, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, I appreciate that, Dennis. And we're going to have you on my show as well as we get closer to the NFL and the Lions situation, and uh, the whole Matt Patricia situation. I'm thinking we're going to do that uh, around Labor Day, uh, Dennis. Uh, obviously, I know you still got your finger on the pulse, and uh, and and you'll have and you'll have some good things to say. And so, yeah, straight out of Vegas, Saturday night, Fox Sports Radio. It airs at 11 p.m. Pacific, but fortunately, it's syndicated on 360 stations nationwide: iHeartRadio and SiriusXM. 83 and the podcast is there for perpetuity. So we're going to get you on here in a few weeks so we can chop up the lions and, and see if they can break that. Uh, you know, anybody can have four or five off decades, right, Dennis? <laughs> well, you know what? I read something on the lions today in the, the, the breakdown was on paper. They, if everything falls right, they could be a mediocre defense. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's got me fired up. That's, <laughs> Well, the defensive metrics last year were nothing short of horrible, and then they lose Darius Slay. And to your point, which you, you were exactly right about the division uh, that that the uh, that the Raiders are in, not just with Kansas City, but also with an improving Denver team and uh, and, and and a Charger team that's got a very good roster. The Lions are in a division that's not easy. I mean, Minnesota's a real deal. Green Bay, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to have a chip on his shoulder now. And the Bears, I, I think the Bears had dipped down last year, but they're going to be good again. So they've got a difficult division. And, you know, for the life of me, I don't know what it is. And I will say this, out here west, Matt Stafford does get a lot of respect. People really defend him, and they like him, and I get it. I just can't get over the fact that he's 6-54 and against teams above 500 in his career and never won a playoff game. 
And I, as Rob Parker says, they love Matt Stafford because he always gives them the best chance to go in seven and nine. So, I mean, at some point, you just you, Dennis, I would love nothing better to see the Lions shock the world. Yeah, well, my favorite question about Matt Stafford is always: Is it Matt Staff? Is it is it Stafford or is it the organization? And you just—it's hard to figure out when you have that. That's right. Years. No, that's fair. Yeah. No, that's very fair. I mean, the, the final thought on this: it, When they write the history books, will they say Matt Stafford was a guy you could win because of, or you could only win with? And there, there, there's that transcendent thing that separates certain quarterbacks from others. Well said. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it all unfold. Bernie, thanks so for so much of your time, and, uh, and, and have a great day. Take care of yourself. Good to be with you, Dennis. Keep it down there in the great state of Michigan. Keep holding it down on the D. We'll do it. Thanks, Bernie. Thank you, sir. See ya. There he is. Yeah. Bernie Fratto. How about that? Great to have him on. Thanks for listening to the podcast. They're fun to do. Especially when you have a guy like Bernie Fratto on. We will, uh, like I said, I've been watching a lot of golf Sunday night. Big PGA golf podcast. As uh, we'll talk with Jeff Lesson coming on Sunday night. Saturday, maybe an all-star podcast. Got some things in the work. Works. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care. And...